This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ah, uh, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? <laughs> Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hello, my labial lovers. Stoked to have you back in the lounge with us because this is going to be a really important one. Uh, I've got Joanna McMeekin back again to talk about the contraceptive pill. And we're going to, we're going to cover things like the risks and the side effects that we don't often get told about, the impact that it's having on your sexual health, your mental health and your physical health, how it's marketed to us as, you know, a feminist's best friend, but it's actually kind of in my, my opinion, a little bit anti-feminist in a lot of ways. Um, and we'll also finish up talking about how to safely come off the pill if you choose to do that. And some effective but much safer and healthier alternatives that you can look into using as contraception. So it's going to be a bit of a whopper. Um, and if you don't know who my guest today is, I actually had Jojo on the podcast when I first started the Labia Lounge almost a year ago. And I can call her Jojo because like that's what her true friends call her, guys. So just a little throwback to the first epi there. <laughs> so <laughs> Jojo on the pod to chat about uh, vaginal infections, UTIs, thrush, BV. It was one of the first ever episodes that I released the potty with. So if you haven't listened to that, I'd recommend going and checking that out. But if you didn't hear it, just a little bit of a background. Joanna's a registered Chinese medicine practitioner who specializes in women's health and gynae issues. And she's a fucking treasure trove of knowledge on all these things. Um, not to mention super passionate and a funny bitch to boot. So welcome back, Jojo. Thrilled to be doing this again with you. I'm so excited to be here. I know everybody says that at the start of a podcast, but like genuinely, I'm really excited to be here all the way from Mexico because when you and I did our first podcast, I was living in Australia, but of course now I'm living in Mexico. So we had some wow. issues with, the, uh, with hooking the time up, didn't we? I don't know if you know because maybe you didn't see on my Instagram stories, but I actually got all like fully tarted up. <laughs> that day <laughs> and uh just tell all the listeners I was sitting here four hours early because I just, just naturally assumed that Freya was in Melbourne and she's of course in Perth which is how many hours behind are you well three hours now because of daylight savings yeah. so yeah there's yeah. a lot to I was operating off, uh, off Melbourne time so just sitting here like 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 I've been stood up for a date with all my my red lipstick <laughs> 
babe, I didn't see that on Insta. I'm so sorry. I still like waking up and having brekkie. You poor I thing. Struggle. I struggle with time zone maths. It's it's a special talent. I, I know. I can't even tell you how often it's happened on the podcast as well. Like I have guests from overseas a lot and if I don't fuck it up, they fuck it up. Like yeah. it's always a thing. Yeah, so I'm excited. A, I'm just excited to be here talking with you about this very important topic, and I'm also I'm also excited that I managed to get the time right. <laughs> totally love that. Love that for us. Um, so, all right. Do you want to do you want to do a little bit of a caveat um, first before we start shredding into the pill? Just for those who have used it or still do use it, I kind of just have a feeling this might be a little bit of a contraceptive pill takedown, if you like. Um, and I want to make sure that we don't make people feel shitty or targeted or attacked um, for using the pill because that is absolutely not the intention. This is just education. Um, but yeah, did you want to just give us a little spiel to make sure we don't make people feel crap? <laughs> I think you just covered it really is that this isn't, we're not um, having a go at anybody for the choice that they're making. What you and I, I think primarily are concerned about is that people are making a really uninformed choice. And this episode is designed to just kind of bring to light some of the things that we think should be really important for people to understand before they make the decision to go on the pill. I was on the pill for 10 years. And I think when I was talking to you about it um, earlier, I said, you know, knowing what I know now, would I have, and I stopped myself. And I was like, I totally would have probably still taken the pill because at that stage of my life, an unwanted pregnancy would have been, um, and that's what I was on it for. Whereas, you know, there are a lot of people who are on the pill for reasons other than pregnancy. And in fact, more than 50% of people who are on the pill are on it for reasons other than pregnancy. I know it's crazy. So, or um, pregnancy prevention, you know, birth control. So I think that if you get to the end of this episode and you, you know, you've heard everything that we talk about and you're still comfortable in your, in your decision, then absolutely no judgment. The pill is there. It was revolutionary when it came in. You know, giving women reproductive control was very much a feminine concept at the time. I think now we've come, we've come a long way and we have a lot of other options available that we'll cover. But I think that, you know, it's still a choice. And uh, it should still be made available to women just with a lot more of a, uh, a side serving of information, shall we say. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't, I, don't judge, I don't judge anyone for their choice and took it myself for 10 years and given the chance probably would have made that decision myself a second time around. Yeah. Yes. Beautifully said. Same here. I took it for a few years. I had the implant in for a few years. I fucking loved it. You know, it was, it was so, so helpful for me at that point in my life when there's no fucking way I would have been taking my temperature and tracking my cycle and, you know, remembering on a drunken night out to check if I'm ovulate. Like, you know, it's, it's got its place for sure. Um, but yeah, do, do want to, I guess, highlight some of the info that I would have loved to have known about back then. Um, well, and also because I have women, you know, that I, I sit in with clinic and, you know, I'm jumping ahead, but they've come off the pill and their period's nowhere to be seen and they want to get pregnant, you know, and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and I have to explain to them this could take years and they say to me, why didn't my doctor tell me? Mm. So, you know, it's really just forewarned is forearmed. Totally, totally. Cool. 
All right. Well, uh, let the smearing ensue then. Um, Let's talk about (laughs) how the pill actually works, um, how this affects our brain chemistry, endocrine system, health overall. Like I I would love to cover, um, yeah, I guess how it works and and the importance of of progesterone and, and of having a real menstrual cycle, if we can also pop that in there. So launch into it, babe. So I think I'll just do like a period 101, very, very basic as well. So endocrinologists in the audience don't come at me. It's just your period goes for roughly 28 days. There's obviously variation, but you have two phases, the first phase and the second phase, commonly referred to as the first half and the second half, but they're not necessarily equal. The first phase begins on the day that your uh, period starts and lasts until the middle of your cycle when you ovulate. And it's governed really by estrogen, the hormone in the first part of your cycle that we'll talk about is estrogen. And it's really, really important for your body. Your brain loves estrogen. It thickens the endometrial lining, which prepares the uterus for an egg to implant if fertilization occurs that month. It also is really important for muscle mass, insulin sensitivity, bone health, brain health and cardiovascular health so exposure it it feel more sexy more sexy and more energetic as well yeah so you know actually <laughs> funny story uh you know how i said i put red lipstick on <laughs> when i did my makeup for the other day that i missed um women are actually more likely to wear red lipstick when they're ovulating and lo and behold, I was taking my makeup off in the bathroom that night, crying at being stood up. No. And I looked out the window. <laughs> I looked out the window and it was like pretty much full moon. And I ovulated the full moon. And I was like, well, what do you know? <laughs> You'll notice I'm wearing a slightly more subdued color today. <laughs> but yeah, it makes you want to get, get doing the business. So increases your... Um, ability to be outgoing, you feel less interested in food, more interested in sex. You are, I mean, (laughs) I kind of had these points for later in the conversation. Well, let's just jump right into it. Like men can tell when you're ovulating because of the estrogen and the pheromones. So you become more attractive to men when you have this exposure to estrogen. Um, And it's, it's like Lara Bryden describes it as being like chocolate for the brain. You know, like the brain loves estrogen. So it's a very, I mean, all our hormones are important, right? This is why it's so crazy when we get into how the pill actually works. This is why it's kind of crazy. But around the middle of your cycle, you'll get a surge in some different hormones that come from your brain and they talk with your uh, sex hormones, your, your ovaries, and your ovary will release an egg if you're naturally cycling. And then after the egg comes out of the ovary, you've got this little hole in the ovary called the corpus luteum, which is literally one of my very favorite, very favorite things in the female anatomy because it turns into a temporary endocrine gland and it starts, the thing gets vascularized, you know, like it gets its own blood supply and it starts to secrete progesterone and progesterone is like the hero of the second phase of the menstrual cycle. And that's the hormone that will enable you to sustain a pregnancy should your egg get fertilized that month and implant in your uterine lining. The progesterone is what keeps us pregnant, basically. And it's really important in, you know, a healthy functioning immune system, decreasing inflammation. It supports the health of your brain, your bones, your breasts, 
your thyroid, which is another super important endocrine gland. Uh, it's a very calming hormone as well. So it helps us feel calm. It helps us sleep. And uh, we're learning now that that exposure to progesterone is actually really important for a woman's health, not just in the present moment, but actually into her older age. So every time you ovulate and you get this exposure to progesterone, it's like putting a little deposit in your hormonal health bank account. Yeah, and they, they're thinking that uh, it actually, that regular and consistent exposure to progesterone helps people have an easier ride through menopause because really, and again, no one come at me, but <laughs> the biology of a female is that we're designed to be pregnant most of the time. You know, if we, if we don't have an understanding of the body and a way to uh, manage our fertility and birth control, then we would be having eight or nine pregnancies in a lifetime. And so that's that, you know, for that nine months that you're pregnant, that's a sustained exposure to higher levels of progesterone. So it's, it's important. Yeah. And the way that, so I think that, you know, that's the menstrual cycle, basically. Do you have anything to add to that? Cause you're a bit of a, a font, a font of knowledge yourself. <laughs> um, no, I think you did a great job. I mean, just, yeah, the reiterating like the hormones that naturally are produced throughout our cycle are so, so fucking healthy, like so health giving and health promoting and act as preventatives for health issues and challenges. So I think like, yeah, just like we're about to find out what the pill does to these hormones. I just want to like impress upon everyone like these hormones have been there are so many epic studies on this they've just been shown to do the most incredible things for us in our health physically mentally um so yeah it would just be such a shame to squash them so now I guess you're going to tell us how the pill does that just shuts it all down doesn't it (laughs) so what the what the pill does and what uh hormonal birth control does is it provides synthetic hormones to your body that don't have the same health benefits that mimic the effects of your body's natural hormones in effect kind of tricking your body into thinking it's pregnant and so that you will not be ovulating it suppresses ovulation and i mean for the people that want a little bit more detail on that basically these hormones Hormones are the chemical messengers of the body. So they flow around in your bloodstream, bringing information from different organ sites to different organ sites to get your body to function effectively. And they work with what's described as a lock and key mechanism. So the the hormone is the key and the receptor site on the target tissue is the lock. So the Hormone will bind into that receptor site and deliver its information and your body will then do what that hormone wants it to do. So what happens is you have like a synthetic hormone, which is kind of like mostly similar and it gets in there and it blocks your body's natural hormones and stops that that natural process occurring. So really what's happening, and this is why I am pretty passionate about people who are on the pill for reasons other than hormonal birth control understanding this, is that it flatlines your body's natural reproductive process. So you have these young girls who get their period and typically, you know, that that hormonal um, messenger delivery system that I just talked about, it's complicated. You know, your body is an incredible, incredible it's like an orchestra, you know, if an orchestra is all playing together, 
with the conductor at the front and they're all in sync with each other. It's beautiful. If everybody played out of time and out of, no one tuned their instruments and it'd be a fucking disaster, right? So our body's really, really sim- similar. There's a symphony going on all the time. And so what we do when we first come into puberty is the body has to like figure out what it's doing. It's like learning a dance, you know, like it's kind of clunky at first and then it starts to get a bit better at it and a bit better at it, a bit better at it before you know it, you know, you've mastered this dance and, and it's a really beautiful thing. But what can typically happen is a young girl She's in her teens. She's at school. It's affecting her confidence because she has like really bad period pain or maybe she's got super heavy periods and she like bled through her school skirt and was humiliated. And there are all these reasons why she's looking for help. And her, you know, guardian parent, mum, whomever, will take her to the doctor. And the doctor, through no fault of their own, just because this is what they have available to them in their toolkit, says, we're going to give you the pill. And so often they use this very phrase to regulate your cycle. And I've actually spoken with, you know, patients in clinic who believe when I explained to them how the pill worked, they were horrified because they thought they were just taking this pill that made their body naturally come into balance and naturally work better. What actually happens is it flatlines your body's natural functioning and fakes the whole thing. There is actually no reason, there is no benefit to someone on the pill or on well, on the pill having that bleed. They put it in as a marketing as a marketing pitch because someone when they were tabling this in the corporate boardroom said, "Don't you think women will worry if their period just completely and totally disappears? Won't they have some questions to ask?" And so at that point they said, "Well, we can take them off the the hormone for like five days. They'll get what's called a withdrawal bleed because it's just your body's response to no longer having the medication. Then they start it back up in in five six days, and Bob's your uncle. We continue, and that's why these uh, you know the ring, the implanon, these more sustained release." Uh, options, you can completely stop getting your period. And some women love that, you know, but that's the reason it's happening is because you're just shutting down, you're just shutting down your hormones. And I find it kind of crazy because if we said to someone, oh, we're just going to, we're just going to shut down your thyroid. You don't need that. You know, like you'd have, you'd have some questions. (laughs) Oh my God. And that's like something that I think I really, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to, um, yeah, to talk about the fact that so many people, I used to think that when I was on the pill, I still got my period. I bleeded. So I got my period, you know, like I, ble- I bleeded, I bled. Um, and, and I think that's like something that kind of hit at home to me when I realized that actually like putting this synthetic shit in my body that's mimicking, um, you know, nature and trying to imitate the way my endocrine system, you know, wants to be working. And then having this withdrawal bleed, like, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was young, I would feel bad if I skipped the sugar pills for all. You know how, like, if you had, like, a party coming up or a sleepover or you're, you know, going to hang out okay. with your boyfriend or something okay. and you'd be like, I don't want to get my period. So you wouldn't take the sugar pills and you wouldn't get the withdrawal bleed. And then I would feel kind of guilty about that, thinking like, oh, I don't want to do that for too long. If you do it a few periods in a row, then, oh, my God, I didn't get my period for, like, a few months. Like, that's really bad. Little did I know, I hadn't had my fucking period for years and and it was just like that's so wild, you know. Like if you are on the pill, you do not have a cycle. You don't ovulate. You don't get your period. Like you're literally just bleeding because they take you off the synthetic 
you know, hormones for a short period of time to trick you into feeling like your body's still behaving normally. Um, and a cool thing that, ju- that just jumped into my mind when you were talking about um, the key and the lock, you know, the receptors, um, it's actually been shown now, and I don't know, you might know a bit more, more about this. Um, I was just reading the other day about how um, the stress hormone profile of pill-taking women is similar to those who have experienced chronic stress because progestin, which is like the synthetic version of progesterone in the pill, is not an exact match for our progesterone receptors. And so like the molecular structure of the progestin um, that we're taking in the pill can potentially stimulate and like go into other receptors like cortisol, which is our stress fucking hormone and you know even testosterone so people can have more like overly masculine characteristics showing up and you know it dysregulates your stress response and oh my god it's just yeah it's just a bit of a shit show in there really it's uh it's more shocking than that so if you want to read a really scary book like a really scary book you can read this is your brain on birth control uh, how the pill changes everything by Sarah Hill, and that's it's like it's like the worst horror movie I've ever seen. <laughs> she does a really good job of um, so she's a psychologist, psychiatrist, and she. I apologize to her if I just got her profession wrong. It's one of one, of, <laughs> one or both of those, um, and she does a very very good job of making the neurochemistry and the neuro- neurobiology very approachable. But you know, I've spent a lot of time in this kind of material, and even I was like, mm, I need to read that chapter again. Uh, so I just read the same sentence five times. What am I reading? But yeah, so it actually shrinks part of the brain. So it, (laughs) it shrinks the hippocampus, it changes the shape of your brain. And the hippocampus is actually, hippocampal shrinkage is something that we see in Alzheimer's disease. Um, yeah, it's also, (laughs) can also be linked to issues like social anxiety, memory problems, the ability to learn. <laughs> so, yeah, and they they kind of stumbled upon this blunted stress response that pill-taking women have by accident because some researchers were studying stress and they found that the in the sample, the pill-taking women didn't respond to stimuli in the same way as naturally cycling women or men. So they just excluded them from the study because it didn't fit the parameters of what they were trying to study, which is totally a good call. But that was in a footnote of this study on a different topic. And uh, it caught Sarah Hill's eye. And she was like, what the fuck? Like, what do you mean women on the pill? Your eye just twitched. Like, (laughs) 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 what do you mean people on the pill don't have a blunted stress response? And so she, she started digging into it. And when they compare, so we were talking before about how your brain talks to your ovaries. Your brain also talks to your, I mean, your brain talks to everything, right? But you have something called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And it's basically your brain talks to your adrenal glands, which sit on top of your kidneys and are really critical in your fight or flight or stress response. Um, and, you know, you've heard people talk about getting adrenal fatigue and that's where they're just under chronic stress for so long that the adrenal system kind of starts to shut itself down. And there's been some, you know, debate in the medical community about whether adrenal fatigue and burnout actually exists or whether it's, you know, something different, it's not real. If you've spoken to someone who suffered it, they'll tell you it's very, very real. But um, what they discovered was that there is, when they compare the HPA axis function of a woman on the pill to a woman who's cycling naturally, there's actually no 
part of it that resembles there's no part of a woman on the pill, her HPA axis function, that resembles that of a woman who's cycling naturally. It's completely different. And so what they what they think, and it's this is emerging research, it's very new, we don't really know what it means, but what they think is that the pill somehow sends the body's stress response into overdrive. The body realises that it's going into overdrive, it's going into a stress overdrive state, in the book, she talks about, you know, the salmon, how like the salmon swim upstream to spawn and then they all die. Actually, <laughs> some researchers pulled out the adrenal gland in the in some salmon and then like put them back in <laughs> and they did the big swim and they spawned and they didn't die. So it's not the spawning, it's not the mating that kills them, it's the stress from the journey. So, yeah, <laughs> so your body realises this this shit is unsustainable and so it tries to your hpa axis when you're on the pill is desperately trying to down regulate all the time and that has a couple of knock-on effects one is you know people might be listening to this thinking oh that's amazing i would just be like totally chill all the time but that's because we've come to understand stress in a very one-dimensional way so we think about stress is like busy at work stressed at home stressed with the kids actually sex is a stressor on the body you know, mm. so your inability to respond to stress can be very negative, uh, not just because it shows that your system is in shutdown, <laughs> but also because you can't then adequately and accurately respond to other stresses in your life that aren't necessarily negative. And then, you know, the, the cortisol response that you were talking about, the, you know, the knock-on effect of your Adrenal system trying to downregulate itself is that cortisol is one of the main hormones that's involved in that we call cortisol like the stress hormone. And it's also really heavily involved in the inflammatory response in the body. And by, you know, by messing with your cortisol, it could potentially increase the risk of autoimmune disease. And when we correlate that to the fact that 78% of people who suffer from autoimmune disease are women it raises some interesting questions whoa whoa yes oh my god yeah and I mean and that's just the effect that it has on you know the HPA axis and cortisol but you were talking about testosterone so yes you can have more masculine attributes but testosterone is actually a precursor to estrogen so this is you know this is where I get really excited because I'm like oh my god it's yin and yang but, you know, we, yin and yang, I'm sure pretty much everyone listening knows the, the broad brush strokes of yin and yang, but just to go over it quickly, yin and yang is this idea that it's a Taoist philosophy that everything in the universe exists in uh, relation to its opposite. So, you know, you have dark and light, hot and cold, masculine and feminine, and they're opposite, but they're also dependent on each other. They exist within each other. They can turn into each other. They support each other. They control each other. So it's this really beautiful, harmonious relationship of the whole universe <laughs> and also our bodies because we're part of the universe. And so testosterone is actually a precursor to estrogen. So what they find on women who take the pill is that their circulating free testosterone is lower and that can have an impact on sex drive. And then of course, you know, you, <laughs> your hormonal system is blunted anyway. Uh, and they found increased levels of SHGB, serum hormone binding 
globulin, I think is what that stands for. Um, I'm really digging into the, <laughs> really digging into the old A&P reserves of my mind here. But yeah, so your SHBG, so what that does is that binds to, it does exactly what it says. It binds testosterone in the blood. So when you have elevated levels of that, it's going to bind more of that hormone. So you have already less testosterone and then the testosterone that's there is bound up by this SHGB. And alarmingly, what the, I mean, that can really tank your sex drive. That's why a lot of women who go on the pill report, it completely kills their sex drive. Uh, and they get weight gain, mood swings, all of these, all of these other really negative side effects, bloating, breast tenderness, you know, like the list that, you know, when you the package insert and it's like, just keeps going and going. Um, but yeah, so that can reduce your sex drive. But more concerning <laughs> is that that there is some research to suggest that that change may be irreversible. So once your levels of SH, yeah, BG in the bloodstream have elevated, they may ne- even when you come off the pill, they may never return to baseline. Yeah. So if you're someone who had like a raging sex drive to begin with, that may not be the end of the world for you. But if you were someone who, you know, didn't have a particularly strong sex drive to begin with, that's very, <laughs> that's very bad news. Oh my God. God, I think I need to do a whole episode on how to get your sex drive back after being on the pill and how to, I mean, you said it's irreparable, but surely there's some things we can do to like mitigate the damage at least. Oh, 100%. The body's incredible. But I mean, you know, you've got like, who's that guy, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who teaches people how to like cure herniated discs with their mind. You know, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that even if your levels of SH, BG in the blood are elevated. There are other ways, you know, and a lot of what you teach is I, a lot of what you teach is really important because it's about actually just getting back and connecting in with yourself and your sexuality, which I think half of it is the same. Okay. That was a funny sentence, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's the same as doing a poo. (laughs) And I'll explain why. (laughs) So sometimes (laughs) when I have people come uh, for consultations and they're constipated, I ask them about their morning routine and they're getting out of bed, right? And they're checking Facebook and doing all the things they're not supposed to do. Kids come running in, they smash a coffee, they don't have breakfast, they don't drink any water. People are, you know, they're answering emails. The kids are like, where's my sports uniform? Our husband's like, do I have any clean shirts? And (laughs) literally that puts your body into sympathetic dominance. So you're in that kind of fight or flight mode and your digestion is under the control of your parasympathetic nervous response. Mm. So <laughs> your body exactly just like that. <laughs> Yeah, right? So if you don't actually just take a moment in the morning, have some water, breathe deeply, go to the bathroom, give your body a chance to recognize that it needs to move your bowels. It's really the same, isn't it, with like sex and orgasm. If you're constantly like checking emails and yeah, yeah. If you're in that sympathetic dominance, then female arousal processes don't have a fucking chance. Um, so that's I, that, it's like exactly like what you're teaching people to build into their routines to calm their farm so they can take a good shit. Um, Which is what I'm teaching people credit. to do before. It's one of life's <laughs> good pleasures, you know, like. Honestly, honestly. Good poo and a good orgasm. They're very similar. Anyway. I I know. Two of my favourite things, honestly. Um, But just to bring that Lucas back to what we were talking about is that, yeah, that 
they say that it's potentially irreversible. Um, what that means down the track will differ from person to person. But I think, again, it's something to be made aware of. So, I mean, we can, we can then move on to talk about stuff like the T-shirt test. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, I love. Yeah, I was going to talk about this. Let's um, play a bit of fact tennis because I've been yeah. I've been talking away for a while now. I'm going to fact tennis. I'm hitting the ball into your court. <laughs> Give me some facts, straight up facts. Um. Oh well. All right. I actually had a quote written down, which is kind of a fact, but it's just to wrap up what we were speaking about around how the pill actually works, and um, and then we could move into some. I'm um, so about the pheromones. Let's chat about that next. Um. But there's this quote um, from a really beautiful book, The Fifth Vital Sign by Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. It's a fucking awesome book um, right up there with Period Repair Manual by Lara Braddon. So definitely those two if you've got yeah an interest in this stuff or any issues with your cycle, hit them up. But the, the quote is really relevant to what we were just talking about and it's that uh, she says, Hormonal contraceptives were the first drugs ever developed to shut down a perfectly normal and healthy process in the body, essentially treating your fertility as an illness that requires treatment. The idea that your periods can be suppressed by hormones for years on end with no health consequences is not only false, it's it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that just encapsulates what we have just been talking about. Like I totally agree with, with this notion that we can't just get away with squashing such a major process in our bodies and like an entire system, like our whole endocrine system, like the very the very process that creates fucking life and allows the human race to continue. Like it's pretty important. So like the assumption that we can just do this and it's not going to damage us at all is like so fucking mental to me. Um, but anyway, I think that's it's probably worth <laughs> – mentioning as well and I'm not I'm not man bashing because as I mentioned before the whole of my understanding the reason that I transferred across from naturopathy to Chinese medicine is that you know this this understanding of the world in a a dualistic way you know masculine needing feminine feminine needing masculine we operate together we need each other Uh, I'm not man bashing but (laughs) you know they came up with a pill for men and Mm. Side effects were so horrible that the men were like, I'm not fucking taking that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course, totally. And if you said to a man, what we're going to do is we're just going to shut down your testosterone, you know, would it, would this, would we have the same outcome? Would, would all the men be on the pill? Way they would I don't know. That. I'm not sure about that. Like, you know, it might affect your sex drive. You might not be able to get an erection. I don't know. What do you reckon? <laughs> Fuck no. And, oh, and good on men, by the way, for being like, I'm not doing that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, totally. Don't blame them. Um, so the the um, T-shirt test that you were talking about, maybe you should actually, you probably would be more um, up to date with, I can't even remember the specifics. I just know that like pheromonally, you know, we choose our mates, we choose our sexual partners based on attraction, which is quite strongly influenced by our hormones and our ability to kind of like, I mean, it's a subconscious thing. You can't like smell their pheromones consciously and be like, I mean, you can be like, they smell delicious, but there's a big component of sexual attraction um, that's pheromones um, that we're not even aware of going on when we meet someone. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, do you want to chat about the t-shirt study? Hey, babe town. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. 
It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content, unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational, and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. Yeah, they they got um, a bunch of guys to wear T-shirts and sweat into them and then they had women smell the T-shirts and say which T-shirt smell they found more attractive. And what they found, quite alarmingly really, was that women who were on the pill would find the, the, the sweat secretions, the pheromones, of um, men who had a really similar immune profile to their own, more attractive. And women who weren't on the pill were more drawn to men whose immune profile was different. And when you're looking at fertility, you don't want the profiles to be too similar. If they're really similar, then that's when you can run into infertility infertility territory. So it was really, really interesting that these women are choosing men that are not really compatible to them from a fertility perspective when they're on the pill. Mm. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of interesting things that we find um, that kind of flow on from that. One is that I've actually, because it's, quarter to nine at night here <laughs> and I have two children. I actually made myself some notes so that I would remember and, and I have a tendency to go off track. I don't know if anybody listening has picked up on that. Uh, but I have, I have one of my notes is, and I quote, can make you less attractive to men, subnote, strippers and lemurs. <laughs> and the reason I wrote that is because uh, strippers who are ovulating make more money. When they're ovulating, yeah, then, then strippers not ovulating that night because men can tell, you know, these are the nature is not stupid. We have millions of years of human evolution behind us and uh, thousands of years. And, you know, there's all these little tricks at play to make us make babies because that's survival of the species. So strippers who are ovulating make more money. <laughs> and when some scientists put a bunch of lemurs on the pill, they found that they had all of these reduction in pheromones in their vaginal secretions. Uh, when they kind of like mapped the profile of the secretions, the, the lemurs that weren't on the pill had lots of different things going on and the lemurs on the pill, there was not a lot going on. And the male lemurs were sensitive to that. They preferred the, the, the smell of the vaginal secretions of the lemurs that were cycling naturally. Now I'm aware that we're not lemurs, right? But when you kind of add that into the fact that it does affect partner choice pheromonally. And the other thing that we're finding, uh, which is interesting, is that it can make you attracted to someone while you're on it and then you come off it, maybe because you're sick of it, maybe because you want to have a baby, and all of a sudden 
you find you're no longer attracted to your partner. So yeah, that's terrifying. It's so sad. Like, yeah, that's how I heard about this was an article around how like a lot of um, women who had met their partner on the pill, they've been together for years, they got married, they're finally ready to have kids. So she goes off the pill, next minute, doesn't want to have sex with him, not attracted to him, starts getting really irritated about things that she wasn't before. And it's like, oh, wow, you are actually able to smell his pheromones and you're not compatible because you chose that mate while you're on the pill. And now there's this whole, like, how devastating would that be? Yeah. And, I mean, we have quite a high rate of divorce and marriage breakdown. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it, but, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to, contributing factor. to pontificate. Yeah. And, I mean, Sarah Hill's book that I was talking about before, Your Brain on Birth Control, it's a really good book because she doesn't demonise the pill. She, she really puts out things to... Be, like what we're trying to do here is just kind of give the information and she presents that in a somewhat positive light because she says that there are some there are some things that it will change that some women may actually want they may actually choose so for example we actually when we're ovulating tend to find really manly men more attractive so like square jaw chiseled frame there are certain characteristics same as there are for um, men with women there's apparently a hip to waist ratio, isn't there? Like Marilyn Monroe had it. Um, it's the same for smaller women, larger women. If their hip to waist ratio is a certain ratio, <laughs> then a man will find that attractive. Yeah. yeah, it's to do with like yeah. the pelvis, all the rest of it. But it's, yeah. you know, the, she can be really slender. She can be more voluptuous. But if that ratio exists, she'll be more attractive to a man. So that's kind of like square jaw, chiseled frame, all the rest of it. That's our version of it. And when we're on the pill, we tend to care less about that and more about does he have a good job? Does he have a good bank account? You know, we look at him as more of like a provider. So if you're the type of woman who really wants to settle down and have a family, but every time you ovulate, you want to jump the bones of every square-jawed, chiseled, <laughs> stubbly man that walks hard. You know, like <laughs> true. It might be helping you make a more sensible decision and and yeah, not think with your clit so much. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, there are, it does, it, it potentially can work both ways. And the other thing that she points out is uh, that we didn't touch on just yet, which I think is worth mentioning, is there are different generations of progestins, right? So there's the one when they first discovered it. And then as happens in medical research, they continue to work on, on the process and on the products and they make new advances. And there are lots of there are different types of the pill. There's different combinations. There's, as you said, there's implanon, the ring, yeah. etc. And so for some, some women, some don't. for some women, it's a case of, uh, we're talking side effects here now. If you go on the pill and you have horrendous side effects, it may be a case of just trying a different pill. However, the things that we'll go on to talk about, uh, about what happens in some cases when you come off the pill, they, they kind of remain the same. But for some, for some women, if they go on the pill and it's a horrible experience, maybe they just need to change the pill that they're on to a different progestin. So that's probably worth, in the interest of balanced reporting, that's probably worth mm, mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I had that written down too, that there's lots of different kinds of pill and different categories of progestin and, you know, some have a combo of um, synthetic estrogen and progesterone and some just the progestin, you know. So there's definitely... Um, some that would be more impactful than others on your health and maybe more compatible with with you but um 
Yeah. Oh, I was taking off my turtleneck right now. Just getting a little <laughs> bit flustered talking about um, the T-shirt test. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> um, I was actually jealous of how cozy you look looked in that turtleneck because I live in Mexico now. So I get to wear a jumper for about 10 minutes in the morning when it's cool <laughs> here and then phew, the temperature yeah. Goes straight up. So I never thought I'd miss being cold, but after five months, I'm like, oh, will I ever feel cold again? <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel that. I know it's nice to be cozy. Um, all right. Well, to get back to the fact, tennis, um, I, I had something written down around, um, the impact that it has on mental health. Um, there's there's uh, one I wrote down, women aged between 15 and 19, um, for example, who take the pill have a suicide risk that's almost more than twice that of non-pill takers um, from higher rates of anxiety and depression, you know, that regulated stress response that we spoke about, um, the absence of progesterone and its breakdown products, which act as like stress regulators, natural sedatives, mood regulator, like they make you, it makes you feel great, basically all that good stuff that you get from the hormones that helps, you know, your nervous system relax and feel good. Um, so did you have anything to add around like the, the impact on mental health and, um, you know, suicide risk, things like that? Gene suppression. Yeah. So it interacts with, with gene, yeah, gene expression (laughs) as well. There are, yeah, in a percentage of people who have a propensity towards major depression, they saw that the pill potentially could interfere with the expression of a gene, um, that may, yeah, that may help to suppress the major depression and because of that interaction they're not getting, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's um, it's a big one, right, because anxiety and depression is so such a big, complex, multifactorial topic. But I definitely think so many people when they're on the pill because of everything we've talked about, right? They're not getting exposure to the body's natural hormones. They have their stress response has gone into shutdown. They feel when they come off the pill, like, like they've just woken up, you know, or that, that they've come out of a hazy dream or something. And the world goes almost from like black and white to technicolor again. And that was certainly my experience. When I came off the pill, I was absolutely astonished at the difference. In, I just felt more awake that's the only way I can really describe it. I felt more awake. I felt more in tune with my life again. And uh, I think given everything we've talked about, it's pretty crazy to think that pill taking doesn't have a significant impact mm. on mental health. And we have a bit of a mental health crisis among our, among our young people. So why are we putting these, why are we risking adding an extra layer of complexity with these young mm. girls when we have other options available to help their body, like I was talking about earlier, learn that dance, learn the steps in that dance in a way that's beneficial to the body and mental health rather than simply saying your body's trying to figure it out, it's taking too long, it's very inconvenient. Oh, gosh, this is very inconvenient. Let's just shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Let's pathologize this and just just band-aid solution the fuck out of it and um deal with it later. Which we're gonna talk about is, you know, like after masking, you know, some people go on the pill for skin issues or for period pain or PMS type sort of symptoms, but um then they might be on the pill for ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years. Um 
And when they go off it, all of those symptoms that were originally there have just been masked and they've had this Band-Aid put over them the whole time. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, they didn't go away. The pill didn't solve those. If anything, they've gotten worse over time, but I haven't gotten any of the warning signals from my body because I've been squashing all of that with the pill. So we'll chat about that next. I just want to like do a and I am conscious that we've just been ragging on the pill for like 45 minutes, but I want to like do a really thorough job. I'm very passionate about this. I've taken a lot of notes. Um, I want to just like reel off a bunch of a bunch of other stuff that I had written down. And if you've got anything else to add as well before we um, move on, then I think then it's important. I think it's important. Yeah. So. I do too. It's like, fuck it. If I'm going to do an episode on the pill, I want to get all of the info that I know into it if possible so that people know what's up. Um, So I also, um, yeah, want to chat about the negative effect on fertility, um, accelerating the aging of the cervix, decreasing the amount of crypts that produce fertile mucus. um, And maybe I'll, like, I mean, you'd probably do a great, maybe we'll talk about that anyway when we're chatting about coming off the pill. Um, but, yeah, I've got a little bit of a list I'll just reel off because when you lay it all out, it's pretty hard to deny that, yeah, we need to take a better look at this. Um, so, yeah, buckle up. This list is actually fucking bonkers. The pill increases mortality rate by increasing your risk of deep thrombosis, having a stroke, cervical cancer, breast cancer, and liver cancer. Um, the pill has been known to cause clitoral shrinkage, shrinkage of the vulva tissues, shrinkage of the fucking brain, like Joe said earlier, um, vulvodynia and painful sex, low libido, loss of sex drive, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, migraines, irritability and mood disorders, intrusive thoughts and emotional outbursts, suicidal thoughts, fatigue, weight gain, um, especially like around the sort of stomach area, that visceral fat that's extra bad for our health um, and extra bad for our hip hip to boob ratio <laughs> yeah, man. Um, multiple nutritional deficiencies so we haven't sort of chatted about how it depletes our our nutritional um profile i don't know if you'd say it that way anyway recurrent yeast infections another thing we didn't chat about like vaginal infections and things like that persistent hpv infection cervical dysplasia which is abnormal cells on the cervix that can turn into cervix cervical cancer and insomnia and the list fucking goes on. Like those are just the main, yeah. one, the main ones that we yeah. have. Yeah. But um, do you want to add anything to that whopper list, and or just elaborate on any of it? Uh, yeah. Oh, yes and no. <laughs> um, because I think what it does is, is it highlights that just because the package insert is long and boring doesn't mean you shouldn't read it. <laughs> and similarly, just because it's written on the package insert doesn't mean that you're going to experience it. These are just things that we need to take into consideration. And I think uh, back in the day when the pill first came to the market, there wasn't a whole lot else available to women at that time. And now we have a lot of other options. We have a lot of other options. And so when they don't have that same risk profile. So when you take a look at that and then you compare it to, you know, it's risk versus reward, being able to weigh it up and say, well, do I have other options available to me? And it depends, as we talked about at the start, on time of life. It depends on lifestyle. Um, Do you have any persistent health issues? I mean, you could be on the pill and never get a yeast infection. So you're like, too bad, so sad. But for someone that's dealing with recurrent yeast infections and 
bacterial vaginosis, let me tell you that, mm. that does a number on you. It does a number on you. You start to distrust your body. Sex and intimacy starts to become incredibly stressful and those can leave uh, marks on the psyche and the sexual health that can take a really long time to unfuck. So I think, you know, that there's there's a whole lot of bad and we need to weigh that up against the potential good and also bring to light um, there's a whole lot of potential bad, I should say, uh, but also to bring to light that women have other options available to them now. And I think, too, our men are getting better, right? Like our men are doing a really good job of starting to take responsibility for these sorts of things and mm. be interested in conversations about, um, you know, not tonight, darling, I'm ovulating or <laughs> we have to use a condom <laughs> because I'm in my fertile window. Uh, mm. So I think that we've got the support of our men folk as well. So it's just time to open a, a different conversation about birth control. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Love that. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, all right. I'd love to do the segment TMI. We love it. Uh, I don't feel like we need to do get pregnant and die because one, we've already done an episode together in the past where we did that. And two, this entire fucking episode is just like, you know, mad education. Um, so do you have a TMI story for us? I'm totally springing this on you. I didn't remind you that this was Yeah, well, I, I, I forgot about that. A TMI to do with what in particular? I mean, I have plenty. <laughs> it doesn't have to be to do with anything. It doesn't have to be to do with what we're talking about. It can be something totally random, anything that springs to mind. I mean, if you can't think of anything, that's totally fine. I reckon I can, and I can actually link it to, um, to what we're talking about. And that is the other thing that we haven't yet covered which is that taking the pill because you know you can't get pregnant it can lead you to engage in riskier behaviors i.e having unprotected sex with different partners and I think in my last uh, episode with you on your podcast here we talked about my experience with um, you know recurrent UTIs and bacterial vaginosis and I think that probably part of what maybe set me up for that was in my youth with the coverage of the pill uh, and back in my heyday, I probably wasn't as careful as I should have been with um, totally. using barrier methods of protection because we just think about sex as being, oh, don't want to get pregnant and that's the end of it. But there's also don't want to get an STI. But, again, that's not the end of the world. There's medications and we're starting to really smash through the stigma of HP. B, which is like so ridiculously common, like one in five women or something really common like that. But yeah, so everybody should check that out because I think it's a that's a really important conversation. But you know, what we don't sort of consider is that we're constantly um, stressing that microbiome by having sex with a lot of different partners. We talked about it in the other episode. If people want to go back and have a listen, but very, you know, briefly, you have this incredible ecology, ecological system in your inside your vagina. Lots of microbes, fungi. And there exists a similar corresponding one, again, yin and yang, uh, in the, the penile environment. So every time you're having unprotected sex, you're kind of colliding those two environments and um, setting yourself up potentially for some health issues down the track. So that's another thing that the pill could do is mm. kind of give you false confidence after a few tequila shots. <laughs> that really? it's all right, oh, the pill doesn't matter. And so, yeah, I would say that's probably my TMI is that I maybe had a bit too much unprotected sex because I felt bulletproof because I was on the pill. <laughs> 
episode, a hundred percent. So many people are just like, yep, yep, yep. Like relate to that. That's such a thing. And I have rude the day that I, I mean, I, you know, no regrets and all that or whatever, but I definitely wish I had been a little less, um, like I just wasn't that, I, yeah, exactly. I felt bulletproof. I was like, well, I can't get pregnant. So come at me. And, um, and then for years had recurrent thrush and BV issues and still am battling cervical dysplasia. And it's like, you know, an HPV. And I'm like, fuck, probably, you know, could have all still happened if I wasn't quite so free with my fan. But, you know, I do wonder maybe if I had been a bit more careful because I, yeah, so that's a great one. And, and yeah, really important to mention. Um, and yeah, you were kind of talking about like our men folk and, um, it made me remember I wanted to cover, I wanted to ask you like your thoughts on this. So like the pill, obviously you, you were saying it's, it was revolutionary for, you know, women's, um, empowerment and liberation. And it's still marketed as this like amazing tool for that. Um, and I do agree, like it's totally had its place. It's been really great for that in so many ways. Um, maybe more so in the past when it was like very, like, uh, yeah, incredible that that, like very, it played a very important role to get to where we are today. Um, and, you know, obviously it would cover us from like unwanted pregnancies from um, rape and things like that. So like definitely it's great that it is an option and it exists. But I think I have a bit of a problem how it's marketed as this like really um, amazing ally to women and their empowerment. So like I'm wondering like what you think of that. Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favour with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa, now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G rated words because, despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway, oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh, my God. I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah, I think it's bullshit. (laughs) Like you, I think at the time to give reproductive control back to women was incredible, was amazing. But we live, okay, we, right, the we that I'm talking about are those of us that are fortunate enough to, if you're listening to this podcast, 
then it means you're listening to it on a device and you're among some of the luckiest people in the world. But, um, you know, we, we are fortunate now that we have a different state of play and we have other options available to us. And I think if we look at it in terms of how we've talked about it today, that we, um, we see a woman's physiology, a woman's biology as being something that we just need to shut down. Oh, it's not working. Let's just shut it down. And, not taking the time to listen to women as well. You know, like the word hysteria coming from mm. the Latin root hysterectomy, or crazy women cut out the uterus because she's a nutcase. You know, I, I think it, it kind of is shutting down women's reproductive system in this way kind of echoes that really old school approach to women's health. And mm. if we, I remember when I was in uh, Vietnam, a really long time ago now and we were looking at some ruins and our guide showed us that there was this beautiful um uh, sculpture thing and in one end you poured water and then the water flowed down this thing and circled around and went in another end and one was quite phallic and one was quite you know yon- yoni and it was this idea of the masculine and feminine needed to combine in order to create life and you know, so I think that this whole thing about the patriarchy and the matriarchy and oh, it's a moot point. We need to come together because there is no life without masculine. There is no life without feminine. And I know there's a lot of discussions at the moment about what that means and is it that binary? And I believe there's space within those two for what they talk about it in the tower, right? Like that in, in the middle of the night, you'll have the moonlight. Right. So that's a little bit of the of the light of the yang in the peak of yin time. So nothing is complete, completely static, completely opposite. Um, but yes, I think that the pill is no longer necessary for female liberation. I think we have other things available to us and it is still available should a woman choose to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just echo your feelings on it as well I feel like um it actually it actually I feel like it's almost anti-feminist because it disconnects us from our bodies our health our cyclical wisdom that's our birthright you know our um and therefore our womanhood and femininity like it disconnects us from the this amazing thing that our body does um and it also allows men to kind of shirk responsibility and involvement in contraception and in our cyclical nature um it, it even allows us to shirk the responsibility of getting to know and understand how our bodies and hormones work, which is like just another way that we give our power away by handing it over to the doctors, you know, who just tell us to blindly take this pill and never have to worry about our annoying, unpredictable bodies ever again. Like that, that you know, while it's convenient, that just makes me so sad because, um, you know, it's it's a really, really special thing to actually understand how your cycle works and be in tune with that and, and feel empowered by this knowledge and empowered by this ability to control fertility just in in through through knowing all of that about your body and um, understanding when you're fertile and being able to feel into um, the nuanced kind of process that takes place. Um, I also feel like it kind of makes us a slave to the medical system in that like we have to keep taking this pill every day um, and then 
also suffer the health consequences that can potentially happen, which we've just discussed at length. And, um, you know, that means we're spending more money within the medical system to put out the fires that the pill's starting in our bodies and minds. And then we might wind up, you know, so we're already taking the pill, then we might, might, might wind up on more medication for like depression and anxiety, um, spend more money on therapists or coaches to try to get our libidos back or to lose the weight that we put on from being on the pill or, you know, needing sleep medication or nutritional supplements because it's caused deficiencies. Like, you know, you get the point, like we're sort of just on this treadmill of more and more reliance on the medical system. So like not only does this, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, sorry to cut you off, but there's a really big thing that we should probably address here and that is IVF. Right, so when you when you've been on the pill for fifteen years and then you come off and you don't get your period for three or four years and you were already mm. pushed right up to the end of you know uh, yeah. that's a terrible way of phrasing it, but let's let's just just brutal truth because it's now ten past nine at night. <laughs> but <laughs> women women who are over thirty six years old in Australia who are in the hospital system when they're pregnant are classed as geriatric yeah, because well, of, yeah, <laughs> I know, right, it's terrible, but um, it's because our fertility naturally starts to decline and uh, this we'll have to come back and talk again because in Chinese medicine there's this whole, there's this whole pattern that happens, um, cycles that happen in a woman, a biological female's development, uh, you know, from girlhood into womanhood and, and beyond. And, you know, the decline starts at like 27. So our fertility does peak and then it does start to decline. And if you've been on the pill because your periods were a hassle and you've got like a fabulous career and you love your career and you want to work your job, and again, no judgment, I love my career, I'm very passionate about it, I sacrifice things for it, um, but you come off at 34 and then you don't get your period for three years, you know, yeah. then not to mention all of the stress and trauma that that causes because trust me, I've seen it. It's heartbreaking. You have, mm. it's like you have one shot a month. You're only fertile for you yourself personally, like 24 hours. And then you've got that five-day window that the sperm can live for. You miss that because you're not ovulating or because your body's still trying to figure out that hormonal dance that it should have figured out when you were 14. And then you've got to wait another another month. And it's it's really hard for these women. And invariably we do have to kind of introduce some sort of fertility assistance, whether that's just ovary stimulation or whether it's full-blown IVF. Um, I think that women are not told the significant impact that it can have to their fertility. And for, for me, I just am very grateful that I came off the pill, I got my withdrawal bleed, and three weeks later when the moon was new moon, you know, I, I got my period. And mm. I was very fortunate because I've seen many, many women who did not have that kind of experience. I think the longest person that I worked with, it was five years getting her period back. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so exactly, I guess that's, yeah, exactly to my point that like, you know, not only does big pharma benefit to keep us reliant on these pills, but then it just creates so much imbalance and disease that we need to buy more shit, we need to buy into the system more, rely on the system yeah. further, and then it's just this vicious cycle. And and like not not functioning at our best and at our most sort of like potent level of like health and vitality, like we're inevitably going to end up spending more money and feeling less empowered and less connected to ourselves. So like, yeah, I just feel like it's not 
all it's cracked up to be in terms of like, yes, it gives us this convenience and it's accessible and it gives us this freedom and control over our, our sort of fertility. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's just a booming business. And like, instead we could actually, it's like, um, that, that whole, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, what do you call like an anecdote that's a, you know, give, give a man a fish he can eat that night and, and teach him how to fish and he can feed the whole village or whatever whatever those things are called, it's kind of like that because you could be instead teaching young girls how their cycle works, giving them body literacy, empowering them with this knowledge that, you know, they can then use for the rest of their lives and pass down to their children around like knowing when they're fertile and, you know, and I mean, I did a whole episode on fertility awareness and using that as contraception. So, you can go and check that out. But that's just one of the other methods that we could be using. So, um, yeah, anyway, all right. Well, let's wrap up with chatting about how you support someone to come off the pill um, and what they might expect to happen. You were just saying like for some, you know, they get their period again straight away. For some, it can take up to five years. So chat us through where you go with that if someone comes to you and they're like, all right, I want to get off the pill. That was an extreme case. I just want to put that out there and say that was yeah. an, an extreme <laughs> case. But, you know, it's not uncommon to see it take – uh, they might they might get a period back after six months, but it's one day they use a panty liner and it's really dry, you know, it's old blood, black blood because that uterine lining was just so thin. So then, you, you know, the next month they maybe get a little bit more and then a little bit more. And these, when it's a fertility journey, it, we often use the analogy that the uterine lining is like, a garden, the soil in a garden where you're going to plant a crop, you're going to plant a seed, something beautiful. And it needs to have the right balance of nutrients in order for that seed to be able to germinate, sprout, grow, flourish. And it's the same sort of thing with an embryo implanting. So you can get implantation in a thinner endometrial lining, but is it giving the egg, the fertilized egg, the best start in life to grow into what's going to become your baby you know you're a human mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that um being aware that if you've been on the pill for some time and kids are something that are in your future that perhaps coming off it before you're ready to have a baby is and we do actually recommend to women in clinic I want you off the pill for a year before you start trying because we're going to tend that soil. Um, and that's kind of general rule sort of thing. Obviously, it depends on how long they've been on the pill for, but it can be very depleting, as you talked about, and we need to get them on different um, supplements. I'm always very wary about supplements. As you know, I don't like people to self-prescribe for supplementing, uh, but generally some general ones are like zinc, magnesium, omega-3s, um, they're a good place to start. Herbs, there's... Chinese, a lot of Chinese herbal formulas that can be very, very beneficial. Acupuncture is amazing, of course, uh, but you want to really support the body and you need to be aware, and you touched on this before, that you can get what we call rebound symptoms. So if you've been masking your acne for 15 years, you might come out with the worst acne you've ever had in your life when you're coming off the pill. And it's about recognizing that it's a process and that within that journey there are going to be some times where you're going to want to quit and you're just going to want to go back on the pill and make it all go away. But um, there there are ways for you to learn what your body is trying to tell you. Those symptoms existed in the first place because your body was trying to tell you something. A good friend of mine, she says, like, the body, when it wants to tell you something, it starts to whisper. And if you don't listen to when it whispers, it will talk to you. 
And if you don't listen to when it talks to you, it's going to start screaming. And yeah. you come off the pill and your body is screaming, <laughs> screaming because yeah. you've had it on pause for, for that time. And I want to stress as well that, yeah, there are other people that are going to come off it and they're just going to feel fine. The period's going to come back. But still, you'd want to look into um, a really good diet. That's a big topic. When I say good diet, it's very variable. I do not believe there is one diet that suits everybody. However, general rule, if it looks like it grew on a farm and hasn't been fucked with too much, then you can eat it. (laughs) And that's whole foods, uh, whatever they happen to, whatever ones you happen to like. But yeah, so nutrient supplementation, patience, (laughs) making sure you have a lot of patience Come off the pill well if you've been up for, for any length of time, well before you want to start having or trying for a family. Um, and then you can see there's lots of different people you can work with. You can work with a nutritionist. You can work with a naturopath. You can work with a Chinese medicine practitioner, but someone who has an understanding of what your body needs in order to support it. Looking after your liver is a big one uh, because obviously the liver has been dealing with the implications of being on the pill for all that time, the liver breaks down medication in our body. So anytime we're on long-term medication, puts the liver under a pretty serious load. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Golly. Okay. Beautiful. So is there like a bit of a detox necessary because we've been putting these synthetic stuff in our livers kind of under like stress and pressure to, you know, detox that is there extra steps you can do to like or do you have to detox things out of your system or is it more just putting good things into your system to replenish and bring balance again hey me again if you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on i want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote tea togs yep you heard that right i even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back so uh if fashion isn't your passion though you can donate to my buy me a coffee donation page which is actually called buy me a soy chai latte because i'll be the first to admit i'm a bit of a melbourne cafe tosser like that and yes that is my coffee order You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. And um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Your body is detoxifying. Or so there's, <laughs> you know, You know how people say like, sex facts that aren't true and you're like you have that twitchy eye thing that you do <laughs> um commonly held sex facts that are completely off the mark yeah, yeah. that I get a little bit like that with detox because your body's always detoxifying right and what you need to do is just support your body in what it naturally wants to do so it's all the I said it last time it's all the boring stuff Freya like get enough sleep that is so we used to think, you know, that you've got the legs of the chair, the four legs of the chair, and you've got diet, sleep, exercise, stress management. This is a healthy life. What we're kind of 
starting to understand is that it's a it's a stool with three legs that sits on a platform and the platform is sleep. Yeah. All right, so very yeah. first thing, if you're not getting as a woman eight hours of sleep, they say oh, it's minimum seven, I reckon that's for men. For, for women, you're looking at eight mm. to nine hours a night, every night at roughly the same time you want to be going to bed and getting up. You need to set that circadian rhythm. Drink enough water. How much is enough water? Uh, there's a calculation you can do. I only know it in Imperial, which is so weird because I'm Australian, but it's your body weight in pounds. You divide that number in half and then you drink that many ounces of water a day. And I found that to be pretty pretty accurate. I nearly said muscle menace because that's what we say a lot here in Mexico. It means more or less. <laughs> uh, yeah, muscle menace es correcto. Um, and, yeah, so sleep, water. You know, don't smash 16 coffees in a day. Eat lots of leafy green vegetables. Don't drink alcohol every night of the week. So, you know, maybe one to two cups of coffee a day and maybe <laughs> I got annihilated on the internet when I suggested to people that maybe they wanted to wait like half an hour, an hour after they first woke up before they had a cup of coffee and had some breakfast. Uh-huh. People were not happy, but I still, I stand by that. Um, yeah. <laughs> lemon water, guys, warm lemon water. Fucking hell. Even just water. Even just water. Uh, yeah. keep, keep alcohol to a minimum leafy green vegetables, exercise, like sweat it out. That's another detoxification pathway. But, yeah, to support your organs, it's really water, diet, and don't do too much of the stuff that we know in excess is not good for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, beautiful. So lastly, any, uh, I mean, as I said, I've got episodes on other methods of contraception that don't fuck with your hormones so much, but just to touch on some methods that you might recommend for people to try. Did you have any other than um, fertility awareness method? Well, I will say, as I discovered after 10 years on the pill, not using condoms very much, that when I came off the pill and I did use condoms again, the technology has come a long way. So, you know, like barrier methods, uh, the technology for keeping condoms thin and so that the sensation is as close to natural as possible is really heading in a good direction. Uh, There's also, I mean, this is probably more your arena than mine, but there's, you know, there's diaphragm, there's if you're in a long-term relationship, again, a friend of mine got lambasted on the internet because she listed withdrawal. Withdrawal is not like top of the list, but if you're in a long-term relationship, it's certainly something you can implement in conjunction with fertility Mm. awareness method. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I think, I think they're, they're the ones that sort of spring to mind is an understanding as I tell, but what I do tell women that I work with in clinic is that fertility awareness method is definitely subject to user error. You, you actually can see like posts on Facebook where everyone's like, I did fertility awareness method and I got pregnant. So, you know, it's not, it's not foolproof. You have to be careful. It is, it's as effective as the pill when used perfectly and perfect yeah. use. <laughs> I mean, everybody can check out your, yeah, everybody can check out your episode on that, but there is, there is a little bit involved. I still mm-hmm. think it's, brilliant to do I tell every woman that comes into clinic that they should start to track the cycle not for fertility because if you're tracking your cycle when you're trying to figure out when you're fertile because you want to have a baby that is 
going to send you insane because you're already stressed. You're already freaking out. The hormones, generally speaking at that time, the hormones are starting to make you really want a baby as well. Um, and it's such a source of stress and stress yeah. is like killer for fertility that I tell people do it when it's fun, do it out of curiosity. You know, so start tracking yeah. your cycle just to kind of see what's going on. But I think I'd love to hear your uh, list of alternative methods of birth control. Yeah, well, I like, to, I like to use a combo as well because, like you said, natural fertility awareness is pretty complex. There's a lot to it. It takes, you know, a fair bit of practice and just calibrating to your body and your body's sort of cyclical habits are subject, subject to change, like if you're stressed and things like that. So I think what people um, maybe don't realize is that it's um, not a way to predict uh ovulation you know you can predict roughly when you're going to get your period you can see when you have ovulated but just because you ovulate on a certain day one month doesn't mean you can predict that it's going to be the same fertile window next month so it is a a sort of continuous process where you are like if you're relying on that method you are having to be very very tapped into your cervical mucus to to you know taking your temperature to monitoring it and recording it and being like super hands on and i think that that just doesn't suit everyone it also doesn't necessarily suit someone who's in um you know not in a long term relationship having lots of casual flings and things um it just means you have to be super aware of it all the time which can be tricky um and it takes a bit of skill to like navigate like well so there are coaches that help you do that there's really good resources um and books and things like that but what I like to do just to be extra careful is like when I am in my fertile window or like and I add a few days onto it um just to be safe then I'll either use pull out or condoms um and I think having them both is like a great um, you know, then you're, then you're not just relying on one method. You've kind of got, like, I just feel, I, I like feel more relaxed and more safe anyway. If I know that I'm even close to my fertile window, I'll feel more relaxed and safe and be able to enjoy sex more if I've got a barrier method or, you know, we're pulling out. And, um, so, and those are the sort of three that I, I mean, I just can't seem to get around diaphragms or all of these other things that you have to shove up there. Like I'm sure they work and they're great, but I can't be fucked personally. And um, if I was like in my 20s going out partying and having one night stands, there's no fucking way I'd be rocking around a diaphragm in my bag. Um, So let's just be realistic. A lot of people aren't going to want to use those sort of barrier methods. Um, Yeah. And I know that people are like, oh, what about the copper IUD? There's no hormones in that. I still don't love that I still that it can cause a lot of issues it's basically irritating and aggravating and inflaming your cervix Mm. it wasn't on my list for that that yeah I'm I'm not like you know if you're gonna use like at least it's available and it can be great for some people but I never personally recommend it um and I think like you were saying like tracking your cycle is like a fun thing to do regardless I've been doing it long before I I relied on that as my um contraception method like I was tracking my cycle anyway because I'm interested because it gives me clues about my health about when I can you know predict that I might bleed and therefore carve carve out some time to rest and not plan anything too social like there's a lot of different reasons that it's great to be in tune with what your cycle's doing and paying attention to that anyway um so I'm a huge advocate for that um 
And then I think like a nice a nice thing that happens if you are tracking your cycle is that you do tend to start noticing and being more aware of your fertile window anyway, naturally, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, like I get um, like Johnny condoms are a brand that are, is, is, is female owned. These beautiful women in Australia like have this brand of condoms. They sent me a whole bunch of condoms when I did um, an episode on cervical dysplasia. Mm-hmm. Um because I had to use condoms all the time for sort of a solid six, seven, eight months, I think it was, just to stop HPV from going back and forth between my partner and I because I've had such a persistent case and we were like, okay, well, maybe that's, you know, that's what's happening. So I was using their condoms for ages. They're great. They're ethical. They're nice and thin. Um, And I think we also recommend those in the uh, vaginal health space because they're actually, you know, obviously some some vagina owners are experiencing issues with the substances yeah. that's used, either the material itself or the spermicide, the lubricants. Johnny is yeah. a really good brand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very natural, very chill. Because, like, yeah, I'm, I'm especially having a past of like a lot of dysbiosis and infection inside my vagina. I am so fucking careful about what I put in there now, and because it's very easily irritated. So, yeah. Um, and I think like, you know, this whole argument that like, oh, guys say that condoms don't feel as good or they don't want to wear them. Fuck that guy. Actually, don't fuck that guy. Do not yeah. fuck that guy. Yeah. yeah. The opposite. Oh, my God. Seriously. <laughs> um, I think there's yeah, some so. tech as well because we live in such a fantastic era. There's the daisy and the temp drop. Are you familiar with those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're like basal body temp, temp thermometers that um that make the whole fertility awareness thing like really fucking easy. A lot easier. So there is a little bit of upfront cost investment. I think Daisy, last time I checked, was around like five hundred bucks. Um, but it uses an algorithm to compare loads of different temperature um, readings and to kind of really predict with a fairly high degree of accuracy. But again, um, I agree with you that you don't want to be necessarily just relying on. On one. In fact, those, those products are marketed as helping women who want to conceive. They are not marketed as something that can help you with contraception, although they can be a useful tool in understanding your body. Mm, yeah, and like, you know, the, the sort of ironic thing is um, I use natural fertility awareness um, mostly, but then the times that I want to have sex the most are in my fertile window because of that sort of spike in testosterone and everything. It makes me want to have sex more, um, which is pretty common. So then I'm using a barrier method anyway, because I'm like, oh, well, I know I'm fertile now. And the thing with, with pull out, like I get behind pullout. I wouldn't rely on it totally if I knew I was fertile, maybe on occasion, but then I do stress a little bit because like there's been so many conflicting studies around that. Like some have found pretty much a similar amount of studies on either side. Some have found that like um, some men have semen in their pre-cum and other men don't have semen in their pre-cum. So yeah. it's like, how are you going to know? Um, and so for some it might be totally effective and safe, others not so much. So like, you know, probably don't rely on that if you're like literally ovulating then and there. But um, it's funny because like, I'm always using at least at least two of these sort of natural methods because a lot of the time, you know, when I want to have sex, I'm in my fertile window. So I'm like, okay, well, then that means I need to put another measure in place. I've also just remembered another one, Fexy, Fexy Jill. 
So Fexi is a relatively new product. Yeah, it's a gel that you can use afterwards that changes the pH of the vagina. And for (laughs) pretty obvious reasons, I see some potential pitfalls (laughs) with that. I mean, I'm immediately like, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, the vagina at when you're fertile is shifts to a more alkaline environment. So it acidifies it, which, you know, the argument, the counter argument there is that that's actually perhaps uh, a more healthful state for homeostasis is that more acidic environment. But um, that is some, it's spelt P H E X X I, I believe if people want to go and have a little look, uh, cause it is, again, we're all, you and I said at the start, we're all about options, just putting mm. out the information and also the options. So that's another one that people might want to look into. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard of that. Okay. So it acidifies the vagina and then the sperm can't survive because they need that alkaline. Does it dissolve the cervical, like the fertile cervical mucus? Because that mucus is more alkaline so the sperm can survive in it right yeah so by increasing the acidity in the environment i don't i'm not particularly well uh, i was about to say boned up (laughs) no pun intended i haven't boned up on it um it kind of came into my sphere uh, of Mm. awareness but i haven't really looked into it in any great detail but i believe that yeah it works by acidifying the environment there would be a window i mean you'd be you'd be like it's when you go for that after sex pee um, that you'd probably be using it straight away. I don't know the percentage effectiveness, although I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty high. Uh, but yes, it would it works on acidifying the environment. Okay, interesting. All right, cool. Rock and roll. Well, there you go. There's some options there for everyone. Um, and uh, just before I wrap up, a little thought jumped into my head before, and then I forgot it. Now I remembered it again, so I'm going to say it. But you were talking about the. Um, microbiome the vaginal microbiome and then how penises obviously have that too i actually did the fucking dopest episode about male infant circumcision and how foreskins um, and the lack thereof can impact female sexual health and that episode will have come out a week before this one so highly recommend checking that out everyone that's with um Davy Ward Erickson, and it's all about circumcision, you know, foreskin facts and vaginal health and how it can affect orgasms, you know, circumcised versus uncircumcised, um, circum, uh, foreskin restoration methods. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Anyway, that was a cool episode. So just going to drop that in there. All of your episodes are cool episodes. Thanks, babe. Cooler because you're bloody on more than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's just because right. i won't shut up but on that note <laughs> i probably should because it's uh yeah we've been going it's for it's yeah, 9 30 it's not, it's not super right. super um antisocial but yeah i'd say my, my brain is like i can hear it inside my head being like surely we have to surely we can clock off soon <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, thank you for being so generous with your time. I like. I had a feeling this one might be a bit of a, a lengthy one, um, and I definitely don't shy away from that. But I have been kind of like watching the time tick, going, "Oh, you probably want to be in your PJs by now." So um, I'll put links to Joanna's work in the show notes. Go back and check out our other epi together, um, and yeah, send through any questions if you want to connect with either of us. Uh, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, because a lot of people are going on the pill um, because they have really unpleasant periods. I actually have a little freebie download that you can get on my website or you can go like through the, the link thing and Instagram. It's called 21 Steps to Pain-Free Periods. I'm going to be retiring that document soon, soon-ish. Mm-hmm. 
So grab your hand, grab, grab it while you can, get your hands on what you can. But it's kind of a really good place to start, a lot of free information, and then you'll link some really good books um, in the show notes. But it's it's a good summary for people that are either time poor, don't love reading, or are just trying to find the information gratis to begin with. So that um, if you can share a link to that as well, that might help yeah. some people out. Definitely. Yep. I'll pop that in the show notes. All right. Beautiful. Well, take home message, I guess, is not that the pill is evil and you shouldn't take it, although I do kind of think this, but you know, just that if you choose to take it for your own reasons, which are totally valid and understandable, um, it should be decided with all this information um, in mind about what you're actually taking and what it actually does. We just want you to be able to make an informed decision with all these facts. Um, you know, if you've got daughters um, and they're going to the doctors that are trying to put them on the pill just you need to know about this they need to know about this so that there's not you know more misinformed uneducated decisions going around which yeah um yeah i mean anyway we've we've said that a million times so and I, I guess I, the help of our hormonal health coach in that instance so i think that's the other thing yeah. is that uh, we didn't we didn't mention which is important is that if your daughter you or your daughter is suffering um, okay, the pill is only going to mask all of that. Okay, great. Well, what can I do instead? And that seek the health mm. of a hormonal health specialist, the help of a hormonal health specialist, someone that can help you mm. to get those symptoms under control in a way that doesn't involve shutting down the reproductive system. It's possible. Look to nutritionists, naturopaths, hormone health coaches, Chinese yeah. medicine practitioners that have an interest in women's health. Uh, the people mm. are out there. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That's a really good point because some people just don't know where else to turn. Um, awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to end on a little quote from Dr. Christiane Northrup because uh, it's very relevant. She says, to know how to prevent pregnancy naturally or to consciously know when you can become pregnant is the most profound and empowering knowledge a woman can learn. There are only five days a month a woman may become pregnant, yet we medicate our bodies 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. This is like medicating our body every day to prevent a monthly headache, which I think is pretty bang on. <laughs> love it all right my babe thank you so much a goodbye everyone it's a pleasure adios and that's it darling hearts thank you for stopping by the labia lounge your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double l action next time and in the meantime if you'd be a dear and subscribe share this episode or leave a review on itunes then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that my dear is a downright act of sex positive feminist activism and you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.